0: And amen. How we doing? Good. Luke chapter 19. That's where we're going to be hanging out this morning. Luke chapter 19 verse 10 says, For the Son of Man came to seek and save those who are lost. Jesus didn't come by accident. He was not here because he didn't have anything else to do in heaven, so he thought, I'll come spend 33 years on earth and just hang out Jesus came on a mission, a rescue mission. And that rescue mission was to seek and save the lost. You and me. He was on mission. Matthew chapter 28, Jesus will give us a command to continue the rescue mission. That you and I are to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing, teaching, depending on the Holy Spirit. It's called the Great Commission, a co-mission. We do not have to do it by ourselves. We go along in stride with Jesus, who leads us through His Spirit. We are to seek and to save the lost. Churches that do not seek and save the lost are indeed not churches, but retirement homes for believers. And I don't know about you, but there is no such thing as retirement in the kingdom of heaven. Jesus didn't say, I want you to do this mission to a certain age. You do it until your last breath is taken. We proclaim the gospel of Jesus. We make disciples. Just as God has sent his son, Jesus, to come to seek and save, we are picking up that command. We have been commissioned to seek and save those who are lost, those who... Or in our families, those who we work with, those who we meet in public, we are to seek and save, to be attentive to all that is happening around us. Last year, we took a step back and, and started really looking at our church as a whole and saying, okay, we have got to recalibrate. If you remember last January, we did a lot of recalibrations. We, we reset our church values. We reset our all of our gauges to say are we doing in the three years that we've been in existence going on number four are we living out and hitting the goals that we have set and then COVID came remember that that thing how could we forget and COVID hits and we have to make a quick shift and now we're in this environment that is unknown of how churches operate and it got us off course and we decided To get us back on course so that we could seek and save the lost and we wanted to do things to give reminders that this is why we're here I I don't want us to be a church that sits stagnant while there's a broken world out here that we hold the answers to and not give them a conversation about the gospel of Jesus it would be like like us having the answer to a, a deadly disease and not sharing that with people outside of this building. So one of the things that, that we wanted to do was we, we recreated our logo. You'll notice over the last year, our logo has changed. And we get a lot of questions, and I thought today would be a great opportunity to show you how this ingrains into the mission of our church. This is a, a double bend fisherman's knot. That's what that is. Anybody recognize that that was a knot to start with? Okay, I know all the guys got their hands raised. Uh, Y'all gonna think this is about fishing. And you can. You can use this analogy. Here's the thing about a double-bend knot. It's two ropes that come together, and it makes it strong. They actually use this in rescues. If you were to fall down into a hole, they would use a double-bend knot, knot to pull it. Because when two things come together, when the gospel and we come together, it strengthens. As a church, we strengthen. You are a double-knot for somebody that's gonna connect and hold them together. It's, it's the gospel. That Jesus has come to die for us and he's got his, his rope ready to connect to our rope so that we can be stronger together. Because a, a, a rope is, is hard to break when it's tied and tethered to Jesus. We want to be a church that everything that we do is tied and tethered to Jesus. Let, let me tell you why. Let me give you some stats two out of three practicing Christians believe being a witness about Jesus is a part of their faith 65% 65% of practicing Christians believe that being a witness about Jesus is a part of their faith nearly half of practicing Christians say that it is wrong to evangelize 47 percent of practicing Christians say it is wrong to share the gospel with somebody else right not here though right not in this room what's wrong with that because 47 percent believe that it's wrong for us to evangelize but yet Jesus said that he came to seek and to save the lost This is the state that we are in within the church, within our world, in the gospel. Christianity is in a decline. But here's the good news. The latest statistics show that in America, the climate for spiritual conversations is at the highest that it's ever been. And you know how people want it? They want these conversations to be introduced to the gospel, not by sitting in this room And hearing a sermon and not by your disciple groups 41% of people who are on church said that they Would be open to hearing the gospel with a one-on-one conversation with no judgment and No preconceived this is how this conversation is going to end That's not the way we were taught evangelism Because I was always taught before you get up from the table that person needs to say the magical prayer and give their life to Christ that's judgment. And we're losing traction because we're taking this beautiful message this scandalous grace and gospel of Jesus. And we're mishandling handling that and giving that off to the next generation and we're seeing a decline. But Jesus said that he came to seek and to save that which was lost. Let me give you a story this morning from the Gospel of Luke is a guy named Zacchaeus and to give you a little bit of backstory, in in Luke chapter 18 Jesus has talked about a few different groups of people so if we go back to Luke 18 and we work our way through he tells stories about a widow he tells story about some kids and he tells a story about a blind beggar he also talks about how hard it is for rich people to come to Jesus he actually says it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than it is for somebody rich to get into the kingdom and what we're about to see in Luke chapter 19 is a camel go through the eye of a needle. He's he's setting this conversation up that he's going to have here with this guy named Zacchaeus, and he's going to show us that the gospel is for everybody, everybody. So the widow, the wealthy, the kids, the crooks, the gospel, the message of Jesus is for everybody. So we're introduced. this man named Zacchaeus in Luke chapter 19 verse 1. He's the center of the story. Jesus is passing through the town of Jericho. Do you remember that place from the Old Testament? It's not coincidental too that Jesus in Hebrew translates into Joshua who took the people through Jericho. And so Jesus is passing through Jericho. He's on his way to Jerusalem. This is kind of the last part of his life. He's he's on the way to Jerusalem where he's going to be crucified. Okay? He's got about ten days left on earth. And he goes through Jericho. He's crossing through the Judean wilderness, comes over the Jordan into Jericho, and this is where we pick this story up. In verse 1, it says, Jesus, Jesus entered Jericho, he made his way through the town, and there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was the chief tax collector. That's important. We're going to get to that in a minute. But he's the chief tax collector in this region. And he had become very rich. Now why do you think he became very rich? Because he's the chief tax collector. He was not just the tax collector, he is the chief tax collector. And to be the tax collector, the chief of all these, you had to be able to bribe other tax collectors to work your way up to the top. So it was a corrupt system. You had to collect what was owed to the Roman government and then you could keep whatever was left over. So I might come to this side of the room and say, it's time to pay up to Rome, it's 200 bucks per person. So I'm I'm gonna pass the offering plate for you to pay your Roman taxes for 200. Uh, Everybody on this side of the room, it's gonna be 50 bucks. Now, you guys are gonna be disgruntled, right? Because you had to pay a lot more than this side of the room. Well, you know why you had to pay a lot more than this side of the room? I like this side of the room better. They didn't have to walk, they had to walk a long distance to get over here. But I'm going to charge you the 200, but you really only owe Rome 50, but I'm going to pocket everything else. And this is the way the tax collecting worked. Zacchaeus is Jewish. He's working for the enemy. And not only is he working for the enemy, he's robbing his own people and oppressing them financially so that they can't even get out of poverty. He's putting them into poverty. And so he's a Jewish man collecting Roman, Roman governments. He sees it as a blessing, but he's oppressing his own people, betraying his own people. And he's also, because he's the chief, he's getting a cut of everybody, all the other tax collector's money too. We call this a Ponzi scheme. He's got it figured out, right? So Zacchaeus, Jewish tax collector, the chief of them, he is hated by the Jewish people in his community. Because he's in the business of being a trader and stealing money from his own people. So he's a professional cheat, he's a professional embezzler. He's a thief. So he's rich because of the money that wasn't his. You following me about this guy? Do you want this guy doing your taxes? No, okay, just making sure. He is the modern day IRS. And it's ironic because the name Zacchaeus actually means righteous one pure innocent and that might be what his name is but that is not the lifestyle that he's living because being a tax collector he's at the top of the list of being the most despised the most hated the most despicable man in all of Jericho nobody wants to have anything to do with him because he's a traitor of all traitors he's the worst Of the worst the Jewish people would rather eat with dogs than eat with the chief tax collectors because dogs are actually a step up from a chief tax collector and so he can't go into the synagogue so he can't go and worship with everybody else he can't interact with people that are Jewish Um, he can't go into the homes of any self-respecting Jews He can't eat a meal with a Jewish person Um, he can't do any of these things the only thing he can do is surround himself with other crooks and thieves he has become an outcast a reject this is our guy Zacchaeus this is him and in verse 3 the Bible says he tried to get a look at Jesus Jesus is coming through the town and he's trying to get a look at him. Now, why was he looking for Jesus? I don't know, but I have my suspicions. He was a chief tax collector. There was also another tax collector that had been called to be a disciple. Remember this guy? Name is Matthew. And I tend to think, because this is a main road, if you're going to leave the Galilee and you're going to come into Jerusalem, you're going to come through Jericho every trip. And these tax collectors worked together. And I believe that Zacchaeus may have heard, maybe even from Matthew himself, that this guy called me to be a disciple. And I was just like you, minus the chief part. And so I don't don't know why Zacchaeus would be here. I don't know his agenda, but, but I believe that maybe he thought there was some hope, just a little bit. Because if God can use Matthew, maybe he can rescue me. You ever felt that way about somebody? Well, God could save them. Y- y'all said that? All right, y'all still polishing those crowns this morning, I get it. So I don't know what his agenda was, but I will tell you that I believe that God brought Zacchaeus to that place for that time the Holy Spirit worked this so there could be a, a divine encounter. Things don't happen by mistake. God's always at work. The world's at work, but God's always in the midst of it if we'll find him at work. So the Bible says he tried to get a look at Jesus, but Jesus and the Holy Spirit made sure he was in the right place in the right moment to look at him. See, Jesus' kingdom is open to everybody. That we got to swallow that for a minute because there's some people on your mind that you're thinking, Hey, if I had five seconds in a dark room with this person, if Jesus would let me backslide for about two seconds, well, those are the people that the kingdom is open for. It's everybody. The worst of the worst can be redeemed in the kingdom of heaven. Anybody who desires to see Jesus will, and in turn, listen to me, will be seen by Jesus. He's not caught off guard. Zacchaeus jumped up in a tree that day to find Jesus, to see him, but Jesus went to Jericho to seek out and to see Zacchaeus. He, he knows where you are. So in verse 3, it says he tried to look at Jesus, but he was too short. Tell me about it. <laughs> too short to see over the crowd. Can I just give you my, my take? I just, I, just being a guy who's not six foot tall, I would have thought if it were me, y'all ever been to disney and try to see the parade and all the tall people try to get in front of you and your kids and you got to toughen up just a little bit and say excuse me excuse me and you start like trying to part the waters and get to the front you would think that zacchaeus would have kind of been pushing people to the side and working his way to the front but why do you think he wasn't being working his way to the front because these people didn't like him hey, don't t- man, you're going to make me unclean. Get your thieving, corrupted self away from me. You're not going to get to see that. We're the true Jewish people. You, when's the last time you've been to synagogue? Like, we got stars and donuts for going to synagogue for perfect attendance, and you, we hadn't seen you in a while. So it says he was too short to see over the crowd, so he ran ahead, and he climbed the sycamore fig tree that was beside the road. If you come to Israel, they will show you this tree that I still do not believe that is the tree. But there's a sycamore fig tree beside the road, for Jesus was going to pass that way, so he knew the route. I know where he's going. I, I really, I'm trying to get my eyes on him. If I could just see him, and again, we don't know the agenda, but we know from the passage that all he wants to do is lay eyes on Jesus. I just want to see it for myself. So he runs and he climbs in a tree. Now, I want you to think about this, because we talked about it last uh, a couple of weeks ago, why men of this culture did not run. Because they had long robes on. And they would have to pick the robe up, and they would expose their knees, and we can't have exposed knees running around, because that would make people unclean. So it was an undignified thing. But in, in his pursuit to get his eyes on Jesus, he lifts his robe and he runs. Now the Bible says in verse 5, when, when Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus and he called him by name. He said, Zacchaeus, quick, come down. And I said, that's why there's no bark on a sycamore tree because he came down so fast he knocked every bit of it off. He says, I must be a guest in your home today. Can you imagine what Zacchaeus is thinking? Oh, uh, I don't think he knows who I am. He knows my name but I don't because maybe he mistaken that my name means righteous and pure and innocent and he thinks that's who I am but the Messiah the Savior of the world is going to come and dine at my house that he just invited himself over here's how I think it happened when Jesus stopped I think the whole world basically stopped in that moment it was one of those oh boy what's about to happen what's about to happen he stops and he turns and there's this grown man in a tree a little awkward grown guy hanging out in a tree but not just any grown man this is the most hated man in town hanging out in the tree and, and here Jesus calls him out everybody else has judged him has called him sinner has pushed him to the side And everybody stops, and Jesus calls him out by name and tells him to come down. Like a teacher who singles out a kid in a classroom. Y'all remember that? I remember being in a theology class one time. This professor had taught at all these seminaries, had written books, and he was in our class, and he said something, and I can't even remember what it was, but this girl said, I don't believe you're correct on that theological statement. And I thought, oh, this is about to get good. And so he singled her out in that moment and corrected her very quickly that she was trying to get a degree and did not have one where he did. So this is a, a teacher singles out a kid in the class moment. But, and everybody's thinking, this, this hush that falls over the crowd and it says finally somebody's gonna call him out on his junk. He's gonna get what he deserves. Watch Jesus, I hope he sends fire down into that tree and burns it up. Finally there's somebody who's not intimidated and not threatened by his tactics because he's a chief tax collector. He's going to get what he deserves right now. We're ready for this. So everybody's quiet. But then the scene gets awkward because Jesus shocks them and he says, hey Zacchaeus, everybody's like, oh yeah. And he goes, come on down man, I want to go to your house. Can you imagine how the religious people felt? His house? Well, I'm the priest of the community. Why aren't you coming to eat with me? What about all these righteous people that are doing all the right things, going to synagogue, making the sacrifices, giving, doing everything they need to do? And he says, I'm going to your house, Zacchaeus. And the crowd's like, man, what are you you thinking? What are you thinking? Zacchaeus would have never anticipated anything like this. I think if you're in Zacchaeus' position, you would never anticipate that this is gonna be the same thing. That Jesus is gonna come, And he's going to, out of all these people that you know, they're, they're more holy than you are. They know more than you do. And Jesus is coming to your house. How often do we disqualify ourselves because of what we don't know about scripture? Jesus wasn't looking for a Bible scholar that day. He was looking for somebody who was ready to totally surrender what they had. And we too often let things like what we know keep us from doing what God has called us to do. And so here he is, to the crowd, he's a defiled sinner, and nobody can come near him, much less go into his house and break bread with him. But Jesus, but Jesus goes and dines with the sinner. Zacchaeus wanted to see Jesus, but more than that, Jesus wanted to see Zacchaeus. So by inviting himself to Zacchaeus' house, Jesus is now saying, hey, I accept this guy. You have outcasted him, probably for good reasons. But I am here at the table with him, to love him, to give him compassion. Yeah, he's defiled, I know that, because in 10 days, I'm gonna gonna take care of that issue. I'm gonna die for him. I'm gonna shed my blood on a cross, I'm actually on the way now, but I want you to know, I'm dining with him at the table because everybody has room at the table. This is a beautiful scene. Jesus, who is clothed in flesh, divinity, and perfection, decides to hang out with the lowest of the low, the most despised person in all of town. And I don't want you to skip over this. We often see Jesus as a Lord, as God, and as a sovereign king. And that's our theological construct. But he's also a friend, a brother, and a savior. And too often we forget that. He's a personal God who wants to commune with us, who wants to sit with us, who wants to speak with us, who wants to be in relationship with us. This is why he sent Jesus, John three sixteen for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will never perish but have everlasting life. That is relationship with his people. So here's what you need to see. Jesus loved Zacchaeus when nobody else loved Zacchaeus. When everyone else hated him and made fun of him, Jesus said, I am here to be your friend. He is a friend to sinners. So he's showing God's people, this is what love is like. You've outcasted them, but I bring them in. I'm not expecting these people to have it all together, to be clean, to know everything, I'm bringing them in. It's the church's job to disciple them, to journey with them to grow, but not expect people to have it all together. I just think God that Jesus doesn't wait for us to get better. Because if that was the case for me, I think he would still be waiting. Anybody else? He'd still be waiting. But he comes to our homes to make us better to to mold us in the image of him so Zacchaeus responds to this verse 6 he says Zacchaeus quickly climbed down and took Jesus to his house in great excitement and joy of course it was great excitement and joy the VIP in town is coming to his house and he didn't make excuses of like, whoa, whoa! I've got to go, get food ready. I don't, I don't have anything ready. I've got to make a quick trip over to the food line. We like, it's, this is a mess. No, I'm just going to take Jesus to my house with excitement and joy. But the people were displeased. Now, who are the people? The religious, right? They were displeased. Shocker. He has gone to be with the guests. Listen to this. He's gone to be a guest of a notorious sinner. They were a little bitter about this thing. Because he didn't come to my house. Didn't come to my house. And Jesus does what he consistently does throughout his ministry. He violates the established traditions of religion of the Pharisees. Now, isn't this interesting? The main thing keeping Zacchaeus from seeing Jesus is the religious crowd. I want to let that just sit for a minute. Are we as a church keeping people from seeing Jesus? The, the real Jesus? Because a lot of churches pump out a version of Jesus. But are they seeing the pure picture of Jesus? Here's another stat for you. Did you know that among U.S. adults who do not practice Christianity today, 63% were raised in a Christian family? They're now atheists and agnostics. 63%. They grew up in a Christian family. we have failed. Because in our homes, we should be discipling our families. Living out the gospel message with our families. Zacchaeus is being pushed out by the religious instead of being accepted in for who he is. And so 63% do not practice Christianity. Can we be a church that breaks up? that we, can, we literally have the power through the Holy Spirit to change generations, to flip that number, that our children stick not just with church, but with Jesus, with Jesus. One of the biggest problems that people have with Christianity today is the moralistic, self-righteous, religious crowd. We've talked about that over the last couple of weeks. It's all about doubt and, and hang-ups and judgment But here this Jesus they've heard so much about is showing this thing called grace. And we love grace when it's ours, but we hate to extend it. Anybody? It's hard to extend. And their response to watching Jesus do the very thing that he was called to do to give grace was they begin to grumble, complain. I can't believe that person had the nerve to get saved at church today can't believe Jesus is hanging out with sinners does he not know has he not seen the time that I put back there in the nursery with the kids does he not know does he not know how much I give how much time I have how many Sundays I came and I sat right here and I took I've got notebooks and notes and he's not coming to eat with me and we missed the point what's the point a sinner came to know who Jesus was today And you know who's going to be affected by that? That entire community of Jericho. The entire community. All of this section of Luke's gospel, there's a series of religious stories of people acting in ways that actually hinder the gospel from advancing. Listen to this. Jesus' constant struggles with the Pharisees show up, but it's not just the Pharisees because even Jesus' disciples hindered the gospel in Luke. Um, because they're so focused on having this adult, grown-up worship service that they send the kids away because the kids are making too much noise in the service, and they push the children away, and Jesus has to tell them, let the little children come to me and don't hinder them. Have faith like a what? Like a child. The disciples were hindering. There's a blind beggar who's calling out to Jesus for mercy, and the crowd's the one telling him to be quiet and shut it up. And now we have Zacchaeus, and again, it's crowds of people who've or appalled that Jesus would have anything to do with a sinner like him now the obvious question is this why would Luke group these stories together there's no coincidence they're all together right I wonder if he's wanting us to be thinking about whether the things that we do is actually making it harder for people to come to know Christ James says don't make it hard for people to come to know Jesus don't make that difficult So when I see Jesus trying to get babies and beggars and bad people while religious people are even unknowingly keeping them out, that's a problem. Look what he says in verse nine. And when they saw it, they all grumbled and complained. And he has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. The longer that you're in church, the easier it is to become a part of the crowd. It's easy to become a part of the crowd. Because we can get inward focused where we're looking for comfort in a church, and we just kind of get in these rhythms and this is just what I do. And then we'll say things like, well, I didn't feel like I got fed today. Oh, I used to hate hearing that. I, didn't, I don't feel like I'm getting fed. You have a all-you-can-eat buffet Monday through Sunday right here. All you gotta do is get into it and read it. Nobody want to amen that? Okay. If you don't amen, I just assume you're guilty. We're too busy tweeting sermon quotes thinking only if so-and-so could hear this message. And don't even take it to God speaking to me. Oh, man I'm guilty as charged. It's the very thing about to happen to Zacchaeus that he welcomed Jesus into his home and before the day was over, he's gonna welcome Jesus into his heart. Jesus dined with sinners. Jesus ate with sinners. Jesus ate with sinners, you ready? He didn't become one, but he ate with them. And I would say too that, I know a lot of people say, I hang out with a lot of sinners and that's great. You should. But don't use lost people to indulge in your sin either. Verse 8. We're going to wrap this up. Meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord, standing before Jesus, and he says this. I will give half of my wealth to the poor. And if I have cheated people on their taxes, what do you mean, if you cheated people? <laughs> I'll give them back four times as much as I cheated them. Zacchaeus rises, he takes his stand, and he says to Jesus, Behold, Lord. He calls him Lord. Lord just means he's the master, that he's in charge, that he makes the rules now. He has surrendered to Jesus. and, And what's awesome is that it's enough right there, that's foundational. That he professes Jesus as Lord. Romans 10, 9 says, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God had raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And he makes this confession. And Zacchaeus's words are an admission of guilt and a sign of this new humility that, hey, I surrender to you. You're in charge. I'm going to give it all back. Because if, if I've done anything, I'm wrong. And all we need to know in this story is who was there. It wasn't what Zacchaeus talked about, it was who he talked about it with. It was about being with Jesus and that was enough to totally wreck this chief tax collector's life. We don't have to have all the right words to say to people when we're sharing the gospel. They just need to experience Jesus for who he is and sometimes we just gotta get out of the way. But he doesn't just confess that Jesus has changed his life, he immediately shows that Jesus has changed his life by what he did. Verse 8 says this, I will give half my wealth to the poor, Lord. If I've cheated people on their taxes, I'm going to give it back four times. Saving faith is more about words and feelings. It creates this living union with Christ that results in this change of life. It's a surrender life. Zacchaeus was not saved because he promised to do good works. Zacchaeus is saved and has salvation because he understands the grace and love of Jesus of what gave him the desire to do good works. He's trusted Jesus as his Lord. He's surrendered to the Lordship of Jesus. And because of his faith, he's now acting. He's making restitution to anything that he has done. By the way, the Levitical law required him to pay back in full plus 20%. And he would have known this law, but in cho- instead, he chose to give back 400%, outshining the religious. And verse 9 says, Yes, Jesus responded Salvation has come to your home today. For this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. See, he was Jewish by race, but today he becomes Jewish by religion. He he now has relationship with the Father. And he says, for the Son of Man, and these are words that would have dropped like a weight and echoed throughout the city of Jericho, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save those who are lost. Without Jesus, we're lost. We're jacked up. We're messed up without Jesus. And oftentimes what keeps us from sharing the gospel is we forget where we were. We forget who we were when Jesus found us, a wreck. And you may have met him in a church. You may have met him in a one-on-one conversation that you had with another believer. I don't know what your story is. But what I can tell you is before you knew Jesus, you were dead in your trespasses. And he breathed brand new life into you. So he came to seek and to save. Jesus is a friend of tax collectors and sinners. He didn't come for the righteous, but for the sinner. He didn't come for the healthy, he came from the sick. The truth is, I am Zacchaeus. You... Zacchaeus. You, you may not be short in stature, but you're certainly spiritually short in your own ability and capacity to save yourself. So we try to reach Jesus by our own strength, our own doing, our own good works, and we run faster, and we climb these proverbial trees of religious actions, and Jesus is trying to get us out of the tree. Because trees have never really worked for us, if you'll go back to Genesis chapter three. He's trying to get us out on level ground to meet us where we are. I don't know who in your life are the Zacchaeuses, but I want to challenge you to do something. I, and we, we've been participating in this 21 Day of Hope campaign that has been sending out emails and messages. But one of the, the challenges this week was to pray for God to give you that one person. Your one that God was really wanting you to pray for and send an encouraging text to, to reach out to. Might be your Zacchaeus, somebody who's running. They don't even know they're running. They don't even know that they're hanging out in a tree. But God, God will put that person on your heart if you will ask. And so as we respond this morning, there's two things I want you to do. There, there may be things that you are allowing religion because we've got to break out of this thing. Because if somebody dropped a cuss word in this room right now, we'd be like, oh, we've got to put in cuss word detectors in here. We can't be saying that. But that person came to know Jesus like 20 seconds ago. Oh, we got people smoking outside on the, right outside of the lobby. What are we going to do? They're, they're going to hell. No, they, they accepted Jesus a couple of weeks ago. We got to walk with people and give grace and continuously point to Jesus. Because guess what? All these moral issues, they go away when you spend time with Jesus. That's why we don't, we don't need to be judging people. We need to love and care where they are Bring them to Jesus, and He does the life-changing work. Let's pray. Father, thank You so much today. You, Father, have sent Your Son on a rescue mission for us to save that which was lost, seeking out. God, and You found us, and, and every one of us was found in a different place, in a different situation. But it was the same love and the same grace that we all experienced of a loving Father We thank you for the sacrifice of Jesus. We know that what we have been called to as individuals, but as a church as a whole, that we are to continue the mission to seek and save those that are lost. I pray right now in this moment, we would confess our sin. We would confess and repent of allowing our religion to keep us from sharing the gospel. That we will not be a part of the 67% who thinks it's wrong to share the message of Jesus. It's 100% wrong not to share the gospel with a broken and hurting world. It's the name of Jesus that restores relationships. It's the name of Jesus that brings life, that raises the dead. And we will proclaim that name because it's in the name of Jesus. When the name of Jesus is spoken, mountains are moved. Demons shake at the very name of Jesus. We will proclaim that from the mountaintops. The world will not like it because it will bring to them conviction. But Lord, if they would just surrender to your Lordship the abundant life that they will experience, It's in the name of Jesus that we pray these things. We pray over our county. We pray over the people in this room right now that they would experience the love of Jesus like never before. There are people in here that feel like you don't even hear them, God. I pray right now that you would give them in this moment a reminder that you hear them and you see them and you're seeking them out and you're calling them down from that tree. It's in your name, Jesus. It is so. Everything you say is so. And we pray these things in the powerful name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. Amen and amen.